Tigers. It's another week here at Lollygagging Sports. I am Bo Reed along with Samantha Button and Matthew Irby. You know, Smith, I'll be honest with you. I did not, you know, the whole line there of, uh, you know, I got nothing to lose. I completely forgot about Cohen's press conference today. So that actually kind of fit. <laughs> it fit pretty perfectly. I did not hear his press conference today, although I'm sure I can guess at the content of it. More on the Mets in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, Irby, how about you? How you doing down there? All is well. All is well. It is. It is warm, but that's what we get every summer. So I don't know why everyone complains. And hey, it's swim season for us down here, so life in the pool makes it a whole lot better. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the entire southeast of the country is dealing with record humidity, so uh, I think we could all just take a take take a chill pill. You know, it's 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 summer. It's supposed to be hot. Anyway, all right. Well, yo. Uh, We've got our usual fun baseball conversation that we're going to have for the next hour or so. And then Armchair Umpire is back. A little hiatus on that last week. But uh, with Irby comes Armchair Umpire. So uh, we'll be excited to get that going again. But Samantha, do you want to kick us off with our baseball conversation of the week? Well, let's, let's just dive right into this. Let's, let's talk Matt. Um, oh. The Mets are a disaster. Um, it's... Not so much, I think, that we didn't all expect it to not go as well as perhaps the most optimistic of Mets fans, Steve Cohen among them, um, thought it was going to go uh, when he bought everything that he could get his hands on in the offseason. Like, we all know, you know, that usually doesn't work very well. It's just that we all thought it would work better than it's currently working. So, I don't know. I mean, where is the line between, like, Mets going to Mets and, like, this is an unmitigated disaster? Oh, I think we've reached unmitigated disaster uh, at this point. Um, I, 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 the presser, the, the presser from this week, um, I felt was unnecessary because all he did was state the obvious: no Buck Showalter's not going anywhere. Yes, he needs a, ba- a president of baseball operations, uh, and the players have essentially a few weeks to turn it around before he decides to trade off some pieces. None of that is a surprise. So. I don't see the deed for that. Uh, maybe that's something he could have told you know the press gaggle before the game. It didn't need to be a whole press conference. You're expecting news to come out of that, but it, he's he's also not wrong. I mean, this really is about the players, isn't it, Samantha? I mean, the, the roster was put together to win. On paper, they should be winning. They're not winning. So, it seems to me like this is something. This is an issue that is on the players. I think some of it is. Um, I also think a lot of it's on the front office. Um, I think, I mean, well, let's let's get the Buck Showalter thing out of here. But, mm-hmm. like, why on earth are you calling for Buck Showalter to be fired? That doesn't make any sense. Like, Buck Showalter is not responsible for the fact that, like, you have two very expensive aging pitchers who are basically washed. He mm-hmm. can't do anything about that. So if you want to quibble with his lineup construction or bullpen usage, sure, but I'm not sure there are really any more complaints about Buck than there are about anyone else in that capacity, and that is not why the Mets are losing games, for the most part. So, I'm not sure this is a management issue, and I, and I 
I think it's silly that, that we still have so many people whose immediate reaction to these things is fire the manager. It's like, okay, I see how this is proliferated out of what happened in Philly last year uh-huh. because it's like, oh, this is the solution to everything. You just fire the manager and poof, it's fine. It's like, actually not how that works most of the time. And I don't think that there is a problem with Buck there in the same way that there was a problem in Philly a year ago. Um, also, let's be real. The, the Phillies are not going to better because they fired them. Yeah. That's not what happens. So, um, like, let's throw that out. Um, yeah, I think that the players not executing, not playing up to their contracts, sure. But ultimately, the bulk of the blame has to lie with the front office because the plan, the idea behind it was correct, but the execution was not. So you had the right idea. You brought in people at the positions where you had need. You understood that you would have to pay a lot of money to get elite players, but you did not evaluate the specific people that you brought in properly, and that's why you have a problem. So, I mean, I don't know what anyone expected. You have to point a little bit at Steve Collin here because Billy Epler, are you kidding? Why on earth? Why on earth Mm -hmm. did you think that that was going to be the correct solution for this? Um, I think that instead of repeatedly trying to bring in like these wheeler dealer types, um, you need somebody who's a better talent evaluator or at least somebody who has the sense to put good talent evaluators around them, which has never been Billy Epler's thing. Um, right. And it's certainly, you know, the last couple of Mets front offices have had similar problems. So, you know, you can blame Cohen for that and you can certainly blame the front office and, and the players to an extent, I mean, it's a little bit hard to come down on like Max Scherzer for being old. Um, you know, Francisco Lindor, like, yeah, you need to get it together, man. You've got a huge contract. You're better than this. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Certainly. But ultimately the makeup of the team was not implemented correctly. And that's 90% on the front office. Is there anything to make out of you? This came out, uh, it was early. It was, it was definitely early in the week, uh, where Max Scherzer is reportedly, I always say with the reports, right? Reportedly willing to waive his no trade. Are you making anything out of that, or is just as that just rumor trying to become news? I mean, who knows? It's <laughs> impossible to say whether there's any truth to that whatsoever. Um, I know people love trade rumors, but like ninety nine percent of what you hear, especially this early, is <laughs> right. garbage. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe. <laughs> I, I mean, I, if I was on the Mets, I'd probably want to leave too. Although it's a little bit harder when you're one of the people who's kind of part of the problem <laughs> to justify right. that. But I don't think we've heard anything that cor- corroborates that. It's like. Good information. So I had the first. You know. that, that was my first thought too. Is like, well, okay, that's cool, but who's going to take you? Um, it's, I mean, somebody's going to take a lot of money. money. <laughs> it's a lot of money for production that's just not there anymore. Irby, how about you? <laughs> Any thoughts here on the the mess in Queens? I man, no. The best the best thing I can come up with is, is that this is a little bit of a just you know, sad that we started referring to the, um, as the Padres of the East and we bashed on the Padres a few weeks ago. So you, you go into this nosedive to, to gain your status back as, as the, the OG. And we have to go back to, we got the Mets and then the Mets of the West. And so, um, I, 
<laughs> all joking aside, look, I, I, I won't cover all the same things. Matthew, you made some wonderful points there, and it's you're 100% right of, of the issues have so much more to do than what just one person. Uh, this is not Showalter's problem. I, I name a manager out there who you love and dear and think is the most amazing thing in the world, and if you don't give him the right roster and if you don't build, give him the right tools, he can't do crap. Like, like you, you can't do it. Um, and the manager, especially somebody like Showalter, especially the staff that he has, like they can only get so much out of some of these veterans. You use Lindor as one example, and yes, that's a good example, but it's also a weird example where outside of Batty and Alvarez, <laughs> Lindor is one of the younger guys on this team. You've got tons and tons of veterans here. And like, I, I am all for veteran lineups. I am all for veteran rotation. Like, there is some some wonderful things to be said out of pieces like that. You know, you, you go into spring training, you go into these these bad road trips, these slumps and things like that, and you have guys like Berlin or Scherzer who they've been there enough times they know how to work themselves out of it. But at some point, especially with your aging guys, it's not on the manager. Like that, that is what's so different about baseball. It's where I love the term. It is manager, manager. You know, it's it's actually a position that I would look at the NBA and I would change head coach to manager as well, because that is your job. Is you're managing the talent. You're managing what's there. And a manager, you can only manage. A, like, you know, Lindor is a good example. I, I we can also talk. I. Alonzo McNeil is I mean, uh, Jeff McNeil is one that's I'm I'm struggling with this season of what uh, these 257 batting average, only a 335 on base. Like, come on, come on, bro. 660 OPS from Jeff McNeil. Like, that's the stuff right there. You can't, you will not win with things like that. And so that's what this comes down to me for for the Mets is that you can manage this talent, but if the talent is not producing, if the talent's not doing what you're getting paid, because this is not college, this is not high school. The hitting coach isn't going to suddenly turn it around with everybody. The bullpen coach isn't suddenly going to to inspire these professional athletes to, oh, damn, we never thought of it that way. Let's try this, and then everything's fixed. they got to do it themselves. You're a professional athlete. You're not an 18-year-old kid. An 18-year-old kid, good coaching can make the difference. A, a 30-something-year-old veteran that's been around the block Put up or shut up. So yeah, I'm I'm with ownership here. Like it's it's time to, hey, what are you what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? And from what we've seen, not much because I this is this is I, I don't see this ship riding itself. Like like there does not seem to be a sense of urgency um, within that clubhouse to write this. And that's a little surprising, isn't it, Samantha? With the, the veterans on that club, I, th- that's I think what really kind of comes down to it for me is like there's there's just not. It's, it's, they're very complacent. They're very flat. I think people really, really overvalue veterans from a leadership standpoint because that's not always where your leadership comes from. Um, I think we can all agree that it doesn't come from a rookie, right? But, like, I think that this idea that they have a bunch of older players, everybody's a professional, they know how to win, it's like, yeah, there are things like, you know, how one conducts oneself and, you know, what are the unwritten rules and so on and so forth that veterans can kind of, take care of in that capacity, but if you're talking about, like, who's going to light a fire under everybody's ass, that is not necessarily going to be two 40-year-olds, and also, they're pitchers. Like, you rarely see clubhouse leadership 
that brings an entire team together from pitchers. They are unto themselves. So I think that you're looking for people almost to lead by example in a lot of ways. And this is where, you know, I, I hate to gripe about Alonzo because he is one of the few people who I think I don't have many gripes about on this team. But, like, he is somebody who I think probably needs to step up in this capacity. And so does Lindor. Like, they're the guys who, I mean, look at, look at who Lindor is. His entire baseball persona is centered on the fact that he is electric to watch, that when he is feeling it, you can't take your eyes off of him. He's also a guy who's been known to phone it in when he gets frustrated. And that's kind of one of those things that I think is important. And, you know, I, I just don't know that we can say, like, oh, well, veteran leadership is, you know, people know how to win. It's like everybody there has played enough baseball in their life to be capable of either leading by example, leading vocally, or just not being that kind of person. And asking two 40-year-old pitchers to motivate a bunch of position players to hit better and to bring the clubhouse together as a whole is just, like, I think not a very realistic perspective. So they need that, but I'm not sure the fact that they have an older roster is something that really factors into that nearly as much as a lot of people seem to think it does. Irby, anything you want to add on this one? No, I, I I will always always agree that sorry, I it's not the pitchers aren't gonna light it. It's gonna be your it's gonna be your offense, it's gonna be your catcher and, and this is a tough situation because the twenty one year old Francisco Alvarez, like the Alonzo's can't be looked at as the guy that's gonna light it. Yeah. No, it's definitely not. Pitchers unto themselves. Thank you for that, Samantha. All right, well, I think one thing's for certain as the calendar turns to July, that is that is one of the teams to watch. Come trade deadline time. Okay, Samantha, what else do you have for us? All right, well, speaking of July, which is nearly upon us, before the trade deadline comes the All-Star break. Mm. So we are in round two of this, like, new goofy voting system that we have, and I'm not sure I think this is necessarily an improvement. I mean, we all, everybody votes however they feel like voting, right? And then we all complain about fan voting because we don't like how everybody else votes. So it's not a good system. It's never been a good system. Um, I think there is a concession to be made that, like, casual fans love the idea of being able to choose the players, and that's okay. But now we have, like, this multi-step process where the number of voters drops off really significantly between the first and the second round because people vote for whoever they want to in the first round, you know, whether you're voting straight ticket or whether you're voting for the best players. Neither of those things is going to produce the results that you want in the second round. Because, first of all, my big gripe with it is that people are, this is never going to be the best players. It's going to be the most well-known players and then whichever fan bases are voting the most. Because what are we seeing here? Who do we know showed up to vote this year? Rangers fans, Blue Jays fans, and Braves fans. (laughs) So you can make a pretty decent argument for the Rangers and the Braves, not for every player who made it into the semifinals, but for a lot of them. Mm-hmm. The Blue Jays one is a little bit tougher <laughs> to justify. <laughs> and there, and then you've got, like, your Mike Trouts, you know. And, mm-hmm. okay, I, I guess I have mixed feelings about this. Like, if everybody just loves Mike Trout, then okay, the All-Star game is for the fans. That's fine. But, like, do people really love Mike Trout? Or do they just know his name and know that he was good once upon a time? Because he kind of sucks right now. And, like, and this is not an anti-Mike Trout take. Mike Trout is fine. But, like, I don't think that Mike Trout 
really is the kind of guy like we all feel we need to see out there because we love him so much, right? He's not Otani. He's not Ronald Acuna. He's not Mookie Betts. You know, like he's a good player. And I think that people are just like, yeah, this guy's always been good. I've, I've heard this guy was great. And it's like, well, he stinks right now. And he's not an exciting player to watch particularly at this point in his career. So like, what's he doing on this ballot? He's probably going to end up starting in the outfield because we have too many people casting votes who don't actually follow baseball that closely. So I don't know. Maybe the way I feel about this is the same way I feel about voting in like political elections. Like you should have to demonstrate some level of competence in order to be allowed to vote. Like <laughs> you must pass a civics test in order to vote in a presidential election. Just like in baseball, maybe you should have to pass a basic baseball skills test. But then again, I, you know, I vote straight ticket for my own team. So can I really say anything? <laughs> I don't know. But I know this two round thing is not helpful to the process. <laughs> I mean, it, it's not. <laughs> It kind of it kind of clogs up the the system to me. Um, well, it dilutes it too. Yeah. Like, well, so. it, I mean, I don't think it's very well thought through, right? Like, like you, you obviously we start out and 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 everyone can vote for any starter uh, from any team, you know, for each position, right? Like that that's that's the way it's always been. Well, now you got this system where you, you brought up the Rangers. I'll, I'll bring up the Rangers here. You, you, you had. Corey Seager, who was second the whole time, right? The whole time. Like, he never actually caught up going into phase two. Now he's up big in phase two because all – if you are voting twice and your guy's not in there, you're obviously going to vote for someone else, and now the numbers are completely different than they were in the first round. Like, it just takes all of the – you know, I almost said fun. I almost said fun. I don't think all-star voting is fun anymore. Right, like, like I, it's almost like I do it as a civic duty, Irby. Like that, that's where we're at here with this two round system. It's like it was my it's my civic duty as a baseball fan to vote for the second time in this garbage. When I when I'm on record as I vote once, that's it. I have one ballot every single summer, and that's it. I don't do the twenty. I don't do I, I don't use like twelve different email accounts to get to get five hundred votes in. I only want to vote once. Now they're making me vote twice. I don't like this system, man. Well, you've essentially, what we've done is we've created international warfare. You know, the, the first round, it was Canada all voting for Toronto while the rest of us divvied out who would be representative. And now here we are, and the rest of America gets annoyed that it's a bunch of Canadian team player, a Canadian team over there. Well, fine, we're just going to vote for the team in the U.S., which happens to be a bunch of Ranger players here. So, yes, it's very, I mean, look at the, basically the infield, <laughs> Rangers versus Blue Jays. And there's more votes in America than Canada, and that's why the Rangers are ahead. Could it be the smoke? Let's um, blame the smoke. Also, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> um, I, no, I, you know, I'm upset about this because I think you're right. And like, that's hey, valid. Canadians, why did you not vote for Josh Naylor then, who had better numbers than anyone else who was in the first base bucket in the American League? And he's from Canada. You dopes. <laughs> there you go. But see, go back to the test. So yeah, I, Samantha, that's your second point there. I, I would say yeah, 25 percent. In armchair umpire, you can't vote. I don't think that's asking too much. Oh man, yeah, but Smith and I are barely over that threshold. No, y'all are doing over. Y'all are over fifty percent. Y'all are doing yeah, fine. We're, we're at five hundred. No, I think twenty. I think twenty-five percent armchair umpire is a fair cutoff for this. Like, <laughs> I, I think that you should be able to name like. 
I don't know what would we say. I, we need you to name five starters from each team and get twenty five percent in armchair umpire. That feels fair. That, yeah. There you go. That might that might help with some of the, like the Mike Trout problem. That's like, fair. Average guy guy I've heard of who was good eight years ago. Whatever. It also wipes out so all you the can, fans. You can average. If you average at least yeah. a five. A, <laughs> average a five point five to six on the immaculate grid as well. So true, if you get a hold of that number, that's not that yeah. hard. Yeah, no, that's a, actually, that might be the best weed out now that I think about it because it requires both historical knowledge and current information and perhaps the blending of having watched enough baseball to understand how this should work and also having, like, a vague idea of, like, who is where right now and who is good right now. Like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we just use the Immaculate Grid. Like, listen, like, you need to do this for 14 days and you need to get at least a five or you're not voting. That, that might be the way to go. Yeah, no, I, I think it, it, it you, the, 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 what you, exactly what you said there, the historical knowledge, that like you get bonus points from remembering odd nuggets that, yes, a Minnesota twin with 500-plus home runs is David Ortiz, even though, oh, yeah, he did play for the twins. Like, yes, you get points for that. Yep. So, yeah. Samantha, anything else you want to add there before we move on? No, no, just that it's like, you know, we've all kind of, I think, gravitated more towards, like, the home run derby being the better part of All-Star Weekend lately because they, the way that they changed See, that was actually kind of good. Yeah. So, like, they did a good job on that, so now that's what we cared about. It used to be terrible. The home run derby used to be awful. It was so tedious and so boring, and now Last we've kind forever. of flip-flopped. Mm-hmm. So, it's like, yeah, well, no, the home run derby is the, the place to be well, now. The, the game is... <laughs> Why don't we let fans vote on that instead of the All Star starters? Well, I think that would make more sense. You know, if I the All Star game is supposed to be a showcase of literal All Stars, that's the best in the game, right? So, okay, but the Home Run Derby is an entertainment product. Like, it's not meant to showcase anything except for who of the people who are involved in it hits the most home runs. So, yeah, take your best shot and vote on that. Like, maybe we need just maybe less responsibility for the fans. Mm-hmm. Like, Here's something you can vote on, but maybe something that doesn't require as much knowledge. I don't know. Like, I mean, I can't see, like, people are not going to vote for someone is going to vote for Mike Trout for the Home Run Derby. Never mind. But, yeah. No, I I agree with you. I think that might be, maybe that's the next step. (laughs) I also wouldn't mind seeing some, like, former players, like, you know, retired players have, like, a retired Home Run Derby one night, but that's just me. I miss King Griffey Jr., uh, <laughs> the the old man derby. Yes, I, I would I would love to see that. I I would be thrilled. But I'm sorry, you guys. I'm distracted. I this is we are taping us on Wednesday night, and Jose Ramirez just hit a grand slam. Um, well, so, there you go. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> taking a moment to celebrate and making my pitch for why is Jose Ramirez not in the finalists? <laughs> the all star vote. Like I think Corey Seager should be there. By the way, I will, oh, I will I throw in my two cents for Corey Seager, and I think that the reason there's been an uptick in votes for Corey Seager is because people like me, who voted for like their own bozo, you know, at shortstop, like <laughs> my short shortstop sucks, um, but I, I did vote for Ahmed because he's a nice guy, and I was trying to show my loyalty. But like the first thing I did immediately was go over and then punch the Corey Seager vote in the second round. So, um, all right, and we appreciate that. We appreciate that. We do more grand slams for Joe Joe Ryan. We Good do. job. We do. I, I think that gives you an, 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 like an honorary like um, City Connect hat. Or I tr- did vote. 
with the peagle on it. With the peagle, I, on I got it. the. I bought the Peagle sweatshirt. Like, I own it. I oh, wear it right. regularly. Yeah, yeah. I'm waiting for somebody to ask me about it. I wanted the hat, but I couldn't find one. Um, Wait, so no one, no one knows what, what it is. When no you walk around that, no one. Oh, that's awesome. Which is even better. Um, I would have been disappointed if somebody was like, is that the Peagle? And you're like, no, I want you to ask me about it so I can tell you. Well, actually, this is the Peagle. Do you know what a Peagle is? <laughs> I didn't think you did, but I'll tell you. Uh, well, I don't make a lot of friends in the streets. Uh, but, but no, no, I actually voted for a lot of your guys. Um, it, it was the, the better choice, be it the better choice academically or um, in terms of what is pleasant to vote for um, in many instances. So I, I think I'm mostly... We could mostly pick the Rangers when there was a Ranger as an option, other than um, Joan Heim, which is nothing against Joan Heim. It's just like, like, voted for Adley Rushman. So, uh. It's been 2012 since the Rangers last had an all-star starter. I think that's going to change this season. All right. We like that. <laughs> what else we do, like that. What else do you have for us, Samantha? <laughs> All right. So, so this is something we've actually never discussed, other than sort of in an ancillary is connected to other topics on this podcast. Um and I think this ties into the idea that if you're really, like, a diehard baseball fan, like, you just love baseball the way that we do and the way that I would imagine anybody who bothers to listen to this show does, um, is that it's got a lot of elements to it that are very, like, immersive and atmospheric and that are about things that are not specifically always about the sport itself. Um, it's different from football in that way and different from basketball in that way. You know, we always talk about how beautiful ballparks are and how it's sort of fascinating how they're all different. And, you know, we spend a lot more time looking at the uniforms in baseball. We talk about things like, um, I don't know, all the little things that you see in baseball that you don't see in other sports. You get the personalities a little bit more of the players because there's downtime, because we have a little bit more of a, we'll say, a close-up view into the dugout, into the bullpens, those sorts of things. But it's... Um, you know, there are so many things, even the food. You know, we don't talk about the food at a football game ever, right? And we talk about the food at the ballpark. And mm -hmm. one of the things that I think is really interesting that has such a strong connection to, to baseball is the music. So some of that is about the music in the ballpark and whether that's, you know, guys' walk-up songs or the song that every ballpark plays. I, actually, I think we did talk about this at one point. Um, you know, what do they play at the end of the game when the team wins? And, you know, who has the best finisher, as it were? You know, is it Frank Sinatra in New York, New York, in New York? Or is it Dirty Water in Boston? Or is it Let's Go Crazy in Minnesota? I will tell you it's certainly not Cleveland Rocks. Um, yikes. <laughs> One of the few things about the Guardians that I do not love. Um, but I think it's interesting, sort of, the connection between music and baseball outside of just what gets played in the stadium. It's not just about the organ or take me out to the ballgame or what have you, but there are so many songs out there that reference baseball, and I was thinking about it a lot because I'm a big fan of this band um, called The Baseball Project, which writes original music about the history of baseball, and there was a Sabre cast on this where they interviewed two of the members, and they're the guys who are responsible for the Harvey Haddock song, which is very popular around my house. It's why my children can tell you without a second thought every single pitcher who's ever thrown a perfect game, because they say it in that song, and so they can just rattle them off because they're all in the lyrics, which I think is super cool. So I love that there's music that is like specifically dedicated to baseball in that way, and then we also have songs that are like they're not meant for baseball, but they're about baseball, or they reference baseball, you know, with the obvious ones, like Center Field and the Cheap Seats by Alabama, and uh, the, uh, oh, what's that, there's a Kenny Rogers song, 
um, you know, the ball goes up, uh, the, the ball, ball goes, goes down. Yeah, I ball, can't, yep. yeah, I can't remember the mm-hmm. name of the song. Um, and then there are some where you just get like the, the mention, you know, I'm thinking of that. What's that? K7, you know, swing, batter, 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 swing. Um, you know, Nelly, batter up. Um, there's, there's so many of them that are so good. And then there's even the ones where that aren't really baseball songs, but people think they are like Walk of Life by Dire Straits because there was baseball in the video way back when. But it's not actually about baseball. Wow, so I never knew that. That's about baseball? Yeah, it's not. Oh. But people think it is because in the video there okay, is like oh, okay. what looks like really really old like beta VHS footage of people playing baseball. So people <laughs> thought it was a baseball song. It is not, um, or the songs you associate with baseball because they're in a baseball movie. Like I got loaded by Los Lobos, which is very famously played during the rainout scene in Bull Durham. The song has nothing to do with baseball, but you associate it with that because it's so perfect <laughs> in that scene. So, I don't know, I just want to hear you guys' thoughts in general about it, and then maybe what is your favorite baseball song, and you can use any of those categories. I am not picky about this. Like, what, what is the song that is in any way baseball-related that you know, is the most meaningful to you? You know, I mean, I'm a sucker for the in-stadium organ. Like, like that. Yes. There, there is, yes. Like, none of the other sports can do this, right? None of them can mm-hmm. get away with it. Like, like you walk in, you get to hear the organ playing, you know, it's just, oh, man, yeah. Now, I'm at a ball game now. Give me my hot dog, give me my beer. You know, not not the three-foot-long hot dog variety, just a regular old hot dog <laughs> and a beer, bag of peanuts, listen to the Oregon, watch some baseball, right? Like, it's, 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 it's kind of like a, like it's, it's a nostalgic feel because like that's been around as long as we've been baseball fans. Like it goes back even before us, right? Like, that's, that's just what we grew up with, and it was long before we had all the bells and whistles that these stadiums have now, so it's a big piece, big part. Of, of well, it's atmosphere, yeah. right? Like, right. it's atmosphere. It's, like, very different than, like, I don't know. Do you get any atmosphere out of going to an NFL game and hearing, like, Fallout Boy blurring through some tinny no. speakers? No. Like, no. I no. Also, <laughs> I, I don't get much fulfillment from going to a pro football game anyway. Same. <laughs> but, yeah. But, but, you know, because it's not baseball. It's not what I grew up with. No, uh, but, but, but in terms of my, my favorite um, – the one that comes to mind, because there's so many. Center field's really good. Um, the, the, the theme from The Natural, uh, that one's really good. Uh, but I've got to go. I, I, I've got to go, guys, with the, the title track to the bit, the greatest baseball movie of all time, Major League Three, Back to the Minors. The title track, you mentioned it, Cheap Seats. By yeah. Al- by Alabama. It's a good one. It's a that's, really good one. That's, that's the one that really – I actually play that every March. To, get, to start getting ready for the baseball season because that just gets me ready for baseball. Kind of like Centerfield does. Centerfield does the same thing. I'm not saying it doesn't, but Sheep Seas really gets me going for the baseball season. Yeah, no, I agree. That song like gives me feelings. I have feelings when I hear that song. You know? Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Again, it's that like immersive quality. It's not just like, like I also like I love Nelly Batter Up, but that's mostly like let's listen to this on opening day because he's talking about baseball and I'm in a mood, you know, and I want to be psyched up. But like Cheap Seats is like, man, you can feel that. Like I feel that song in my soul. I think it's because we all at one point have been in the cheap seats of a ball game. Yes. Well, I just I love the sentiment of it. Uh, there's nothing like the view from the cheap seats. You know, right. we like our beer flat as can be. It's so great. And, uh, you know, the major is called the old what's-his-name. It's just <laughs> such a great, like, nostalgic baseball. And that, that's so baseball, right? Remember the good old days? It's yeah. such a baseball it sentiment. Is. It's fantastic. It is. It is. Irby, how about you? You want to chime in here? I, yeah, I mean, you guys have done a great job of hitting a lot of the ones um, 
I yeah, it's the nostalgia, um, remembering as a kid going to games and then listening, realizing there are songs. So yeah, take me out to the ball game, center field, um, glory days, Bruce Springsteen's another one comes to mind. Yeah, Ooh, um, yeah, that's a good one. I forgot about that one. Um, I whether this is a good thing or not, um, Cotton Eye Joe speaks baseball to me. <laughs> I don't. I, I know, I know. <laughs> okay, it's, it, it speaks. To, it, it speaks to Rangers fans. Uh, <laughs> it does not speak to me in any way. <laughs> that was the seventh inning stretch our entire lives until <laughs> it, it, until they move that fiddle. Until they move Goblin um, in the seventh. Now we only get half. Yeah. Seventh. <laughs> no, now you get both of them too. Yeah, so sorry. That was it's just yeah, the nostalgia there. Like I can't get away with it now. I hear if I hear Cotton Eye Joe, I think baseball. So um, good or bad, whatever it is, what it is. And that one is another one. Um, I yeah, and then it's other stuff. I mean, that's like talk about it at the end of games. I like Texas. That's the one that's played when the Rangers get the W. Um, always loved the the natural theme um, after home runs, um, which is. Uh, which is happening right now. Awesome. Great. Yay. Awesome. So yeah, it's, it's those combination of things. Um, I, it, but other than that, I do enjoy, um, good walk-up songs, um, to the point of like, okay, like, like I, I enjoy when the Rangers lineup comes out of, okay, what are their walk-up songs this year? And is as Latin as some of these things are, I will bust out those Latins and I will listen to it on the way to work. I'm like, Oh, Okay, not, not getting this one. This is gonna be a one and done here. And there's a few of like, hey, I might, I might, I might, I might use that one. And I, I um, you know, Joey Gallows for the longest time was um, start a riot. And yeah, I've got now my boys love doing that one before swim. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Get that, get that heartbeat, get that heart pumping. Wasn't it Elvis Andres that had Baby Shark? Uh, yes, no. Elvis. After him and his wife had their first baby, yes. Saint Somebody in the Rays did that first. Yeah. during the World Series. Oh yeah, I, I'm sure that was done too. Yeah, Elvis didn't have that. He had a, a a Latin song, but then after him and his wife had their first kid, it changed it to Baby Shark. Uh. <laughs> I just remember all the pairs being like, "Come on, man, <laughs> really? <laughs> I came here to get a break from that song." Oh boy, Samantha! Anything else you want to add here? I yeah yeah no I, I'll tell you my favorites too. Yeah, I, I think walk-up songs are interesting too. I think sometimes you learn something about a player that way. It's cool. It's like you know Oscar Gonzalez with the SpongeBob theme, which was I'm telling you the funniest thing ever was the tense moment in the playoffs during a tie game, and that came through the speakers in the stadium. Like I, <laughs> that was a weird moment, um, but also kind of hilarious and wonderful. Um, but yeah, no, I'm. A, I'm with you both on the cheap seats. Um, I, I think that's probably the best one. Mm-hmm. And also, I'm, like, huge on taking out to the ball game. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's, especially if you get, there's two versions that I really love. One of them is Sam Bush's, where it's just him on his mandolin. There are no lyrics. And it's just different and interesting. But the one that I love the most is, I, I think you got to get the one that has all the verses, right? So you can learn all the different verses, not just the, the one single round. Um that they play in the ballpark during the seventh inning stretch. But Cincinnati Pops Orchestra, in my opinion, best version of it. They have a chorus with them, so they sing all the verses. So you can learn all about Katie Casey, um, who was a very big baseball fan. Tells you a little bit more about the history of the song and all that. Super cool. So 
Yeah, there's a there's a ton of good ones though. There's a, a ton of good ones, and I'm sure we're just scratching the surface here. There's probably twenty more that we've forgotten. But uh, <laughs> baseball and music can't beat it. Ah, uh, all right. Well, Irby, you ready to get into uh, into your topics for the night? Yeah, we're talking about some wonderful things, great nostalgia, um, wonderful stuff. So let's go ahead and kill the mood and talk about double negatives here and terrible things. And Rob Manfred and the Houston Astros. <laughs> and cheating. There we go. I did three, so we keep it negative, right? Uh, yeah, so back in May, <laughs> Rob did an interview with Time Magazine that just came out um, where he talked about the scandal with the Houston Astros, the sign-stealing scandal of the 2017 World Series um, that is vacated. Um, yes, it's vacated. Uh, I know it's not, but it is. Uh, <laughs> he's talking about it. He admitted in the interview that granting immunity to the players was, quote, maybe not my best decision ever. God. Thanks, Rob. Thanks. I, I, no, look, this is, I, I don't get the point here. Um, you know, the, the, the he, I know he talks more about the, you know, probably the, not how you should have handled. Maybe we should have gone through the steps before and see what we could have gotten. And I, I mean, it's it's all this is politics one on one. Like like this is all he's doing is is playing to this. He is seeing the positives that is happening in baseball right now, and he's seeing the positives. He's also trying to make people forget what's happening out in Oakland, but but that's neither here nor there. And and he's actually playing to the masses here for once. And no, 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 no. You don't you don't you don't get credit. You don't get credit for for six years later, and, and I know that this was more like three years, but for six years, this happened in 2017, but still, when we dealt with this in 2020, you don't get credit for this now coming out and going, oh, yeah, I didn't handle the, the best way. Any parent worth their salt knew you didn't handle it the best way. Like, you don't, you don't bust out, okay, don't worry. You will not be punished in any way possible. Now tell me what you did to your brother. Okay, no, you don't. You don't grant the immunity right off the bat. If you have to play that card to get to the bottom of this, if you have to get there eventually, so be it to get to the truth. Okay, but that's not how you start. You don't. No, no. Sorry, I, I, I can't with this, and I, and I won't go long on this because I don't like talking about Rob. I don't like talking about that team. Um, but but it's it is this is no. I, I General Custer doesn't get credit for going back and going. Huh, maybe I shouldn't have taken that hill. No, Rob. No, Rob. No. Mm. Oh, God. Yeah, this is just gross, Samantha. Like, like, spare me your couch sessions, Rob. I mean, what is this? Here we are, what, three years later? And now all of a sudden, oh, I should have. Yeah, that's obvious. But also, he's the commissioner of baseball. He grants immunity, so even if he hadn't done that, he could still retroactively go back and punish these guys, right? But you know what he can do? He can vacate that World Series. He can take away all their stats from that era. He can still do that. It's not punishing the players. It's not suspending the players. It's not fine. He can still do some things here, Samantha. He just doesn't want to do it. He's, he's hoping his little PR spiel is going to get him out of hot water with those outside of Houston. Well, yeah, exactly. And I think that you kind of like also hit on something else that's really important, which is 
Yes, he. that was a bad call not to suspend the players. But the worst call that was made was not vacating the World Series title. And he didn't mention that. And that's the big one. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. If he had vacated that title, we wouldn't care nearly as much about whether certain individuals were punished for it. Mm -hmm. So he didn't do either one. He's apologizing. He's not even apologizing. He's equivocating over... Well, maybe I shouldn't have done that. And it's just, I think it comes off as insincere. I mean, it's not, it was worse when we first heard about it before we realized that this was actually, this interview was done in May because everybody thought, really? You're going to come out and say this two days after the A's thing to try to win back like some favor from like baseball fans across the league. Um, and I don't think Rob is that good at calculating that he planned <laughs> that that way. Right. Um, but to me, it's like, you know, I don't even believe this is sincere. I think you're right. I think he is playing to try to appeal to baseball fans. See, I'm not all bad, but, like, you know, Rob, I'd probably believe you more if you said this, like, 20 years from now after you were retired and it sounded like you really thought back on your tenure as commissioner and realized, I made some mistakes and here's something I really screwed up. Like, saying it now doesn't carry a lot of meaning and it just seems like pandering and people aren't buying it. Like, it didn't work. You know, like, what? who is this guy's, like, media relations manager? Like, who is the person that doesn't say to him, Rob, stop, don't say this, this isn't going to go over well. Like, I, oh my gosh. Also, have you ever heard of a trial lawyer who was worse at public speaking? Mm-mm. I mean, like, this guy was, like, a very successful litigator. You know, he wasn't, like, a patent lawyer toiling away in an office. He was a litigator. And he can't talk publicly? Like, what happened? He have a stroke or something? Like, it's weird. Like, I, oh, my gosh. But the thing that really comes through to me here is, like, whatever you want to say about Bud Selig, and we had plenty of bad things to say about him when he was the commissioner. He screwed up a lot of stuff. But that guy loved baseball. Mm-hmm. He loved baseball. And the stuff that he screwed up, he screwed up because he was trying to preserve something for the sport that he felt was best for it. And while I don't agree with all of his decisions, I think that we can all agree that he loved the game and whether it was ill-advised or not, it's sort of like when somebody gets elected president who's maybe not the guy you voted for, but you can kind of concede that they have the country's best interests at heart. Mm -hmm. Like, it's kind of like that. So Rob, unfortunately, is not one of those people. He does not appear to have the best interests of baseball heart. I, I think he is a businessman. I don't think he knows what he's doing, and I don't think he cares about baseball. And it comes through every single time. And all this did, he thinks that this makes him sound like he does care, if only we understood. And to me, it just kind of confirmed that he doesn't. Yeah, he's just saying I stuff. I agree. Yeah. You know, and, and the thing is, too, you mentioned Bud Selig. You know, we all know that Bud Selig was, was complicit in the steroid era. We know that. Mm-hmm. Right? He didn't. He has. He didn't like get five years into retirement. Go, yeah, yeah. I, I did more than I admitted to, or I did more than I didn't do enough. I didn't. I didn't do what I could. No, because the game had moved on. Now we may not forgive the Astros. I, I know the, this. This particular group of lollygaggers will never forgive them for what they did. Most baseball fans will never forgive them for what they did. But we have also, as a game, moved on. That's the other thing. And, <laughs> Way to drag it back out there. And now, like, and now, like a like a dead horse, <laughs> oh, he, he comes out yeah. and hands a baseball bat to anybody that wants to hit it. Like it's oh. absurd. <laughs> it's 
just why'd you do this? There's no po- literally no point. There's no point. Well, Unless the one point where we all agree with the Astros fans, like why on earth are you bringing this up again? I thought we were moving past this. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> oh, oh man, uh, Irby, anything you want to add here before you go into your next one? I, you, know, you were talking about the uh, PR who's letting him get away with it. I looked it up. Uh, it's Roman Roy and Hugo Baker. That's who's in charge. Of oh, this. wow. Yikes. Not the two you want. <laughs> Not the two you want at all. Okay. All right. So back on positive. Good things. Good things. Um, I love how this 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 touching on these young talents, these guys that are so much fun to watch and, and building the game and, and um, you know, it goes back to the all-star conversation we were having earlier. These guys that will be on all-star teams, either they are now or they're going to be, and it's it's the excitement of the game. And um, Yuri Perez, yeah, this kid, boy, coming on the map and get the job done out there in Miami. Um, not even 21. So not, not, not even 21. He's still 20 years old. Uh, nice, long, lanky kid, like 6'8", 220, and this kid, I, I mean, the, 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 the pitches, the location, the command, what he has been able to do for the, the Marlins, this, this jolt of part of the, you know, it's almost the exact opposite of what we talked about earlier with the Mets. Uh, here is someone coming out and getting the job done, and, and we thought it would be Alcantara, but it's not happening there from Sandy. It's happening for Mr. Perez. Uh, I know we're in the middle of this streak, this 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 shutout streak that he has, which is great. It's nice, but it's more than that. You know that that is just an example of what this kid can do. He's doing it not just shutting down, like what we saw at the beginning, shutting down teams that aren't going to be making playoffs, but he is doing it against playoff teams too. You know that that Blue Jays team that everyone was voting for out in Canada, yeah, shut those guys down last week shut down the Seattle Mariners. Um, this has become fun to watch. Now, again, half the breaks a little bit. Nine starts. Nine starts. Okay, so yes, nine starts. You know, we, we, we fully haven't stretched this young man out. We don't know exactly what he's going to do. You know, the, 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 the Marlins are being smart on the pitch count. They're being smart on his usage right now. Um, there's some numbers that we can look at that have, have a little bit of concern on hard-hit balls and, and walk rates and stuff like that, that, that will, I did, you look at the numbers that he has in the sub-1 whip and, and a 134 ERA, those numbers are going to come down just a little bit. They're going to come back down to earth. His minor league numbers um, aren't amazing. They're good. They're solid. Um, but this is also a young man that just got to double-A and stayed at double-A. You know, didn't pitch above there, which, again, still some really solid talent there at double-A. So, Definitely a few things that make you believe that Yuri is going to come back down to earth. But until that happens, I love the run that he is on and how it's helping this Marlins team make a run at maybe not the division, but definitely the playoffs. You know, Smith, I, I look at Perez and I get a small little glimpse of why the Marlins are a little bit better than we thought they'd be. And anytime a team makes this kind of a jump, 
in, in, in terms of competition, like it, it, it's fueled by those in-house players that are, that nobody really knows about yet. They don't have the publicity around them yet, but they come up and they play a quality of baseball that allows the team to make that next step. Guys like this, you know, you, you had it with uh, All in Contra last year. Now you've got it with Perez this year. It's it's the reason why, for at least for me now, I, I can start to make sense of what's happening in Miami. Yeah, I agree. I think this is, you know, we've talked a lot about Kimming and, and what a good job she does and how we're going to need a couple of years to kind of see her put her plan into place. And I, I think we're starting to kind of see the beginning of it here with stuff like this. And also, this is, I mean, we don't really know what's going to happen with him. And Irby, like you said, I, you know, the hard hit rate was the thing that was tripping me up a little bit too. I was like, eh, it might be a problem. Um, but it's certainly, you know, it's taking a little bit of the load off for the fact that Sandy Alcantara is, like, I mean, there's no good way to say it. He's bad this year. He's been bad, um, which was shocking after his Cy Young season a year ago. So I don't know, you know, there are a lot of theories out there about why that's happening. I, I'm not sure. I think that he can't right the ship eventually. But this has helped a lot kind of mitigate that. And I think it's super cool to see, you know, a product that they've developed coming up and doing this. And especially for the Marlins because they've tried to change their philosophy. They are trying to build a team more in the manner which the Guardians and the Rays build, which is to kind of work around strong in-house pitching and contact hitting. And this is, I think, good evidence that that is at least starting to manifest for the team. And um, I I guess my only question about all this is what they're going to do when it comes to... I would think normally you would shut a guy like that down probably in August, at least for a while, um, because you're going to be a little bit worried about innings. Um, But if they're still in the wild card race, then I think there's a discussion discussion to be had about that, especially because of Alcantara and what he looks like this year after last year. So if they're out of the race, I fully expect him to be shut down in August, which is the smart play. At the same time, if you are in the hind, it's really, really tough to take somebody who's pitching that well and say, you know what, you're done for the year. So I, I would be sympathetic to that, too, if they decided to go that way. It's just sort of something interesting to keep on your radar. Yeah, you know, and, and Kim Ang is someone I trust to make good decisions there. Yes, and, and, and yes. And, and, you know, those of you that, that have questions, uh, go, go look at um, um, Strasburg with, with the Nationals, what happened with him earlier in his career. Uh, and and yeah. see what happens when you push it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Irby, yeah. <laughs> Irby, anything else here on this one? Well, yeah, I mean, to touch on exactly that and give you the numbers there for you, Smith. Um, and I'm going to do this with the names of the minor leagues just because I want to say them. Um, in 2021, as a member of the Hammerheads and the Snappers, uh, he combined that season with 78 innings pitched. In 2022, as a member of the Hammerheads and the Blue Wahoos. So um, hard to take seriously. Like, here's some <laughs> real data, but Blue Wahoo. Uh, I love the Blue, Blue Wahoo. Wahoo. <laughs> it's so great. Um, yeah, he threw 77 <laughs> innings uh, last year. So 78, 77. Guys, he's at 78 innings pitched on this season. So there you go. Next time he takes the mound, he will have pitched more than he has in his professional career. Yeah, they're going to have to – maybe not shut him down, but they're going to have to get some starts. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll throw Tristan McKenzie out there as an example of mm-hmm. what can 
happen. Under, and that was somebody who was shut down, but apparently not soon enough. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right, everybody, what else you got for us? Well, the last one, and this is kind of um, taking off the fun that you guys had last week as well, as we can, you know, start looking at this, um, you know, you know, the divisions. And I, I, I love at this point of the season, we really get an idea of who's in the conversation. Who's definitely not in the conversation, you know, for every uh, close race that we have with the, you know, the biggest difference between first and second is the Rangers having a five-game lead on the Angels. That's the biggest one. That's great. That is awesome that all of these races have got multiple teams in the conversation, you know, but for every one of these wonderful divisions, you've got teams like the Royals that are 16 and a half out, the A's that didn't even care, and, you know, they're 28 out, Washington's 21 out, the Rockies are 17 and a half out, they're not going to get to 500. All that, the NL Central, the St. Louis Cardinals are in dead last, and they are eight games out of first place. The Cincinnati Reds, seemed like it was not going to be the season, and they got their Ellie De La Cruz, who I hope says yes to the home run derby, because that could be fun. They're in first place now. The Pirates started off in first, and now they're down in fourth. The Brewers, definitely, this was their year to take care of business. They don't seem to want to do that. And the Cubs, well, the Cubs are doing exactly as I think we all thought. They're playing about 500 balls sitting right in the middle, and they're the only one with a plus differential. Guys, I could go on and on on the reasons why all five of these teams could win this division and why all five of these teams will finish fifth. And I love it. I'm here for it. This is going to be so awesome. Um, it's a little painful because of how we have the setup that one of these teams is going to be playing in the postseason hosting. Hosting, or not necessarily hosting, but they will be playing in the postseason. We're going to have to deal with one of these teams in the postseason. But unlike all the other five divisions, literally, it could be any of these five. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true, Samantha. This, this is like I've seen bad, but we've all seen bad divisions before. This one really does take the cake. You, you got the Reds here in first place. If they hadn't had that horrendous start to their season, I kind of wonder where they would be right now uh, in terms of the NL Central. But Milwaukee should take it. They don't want it. Uh, the Cubs could take it, but they're, 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 they're trying to convince their fans that they can sell off. Uh, Pittsburgh uh, has turned into a pumpkin, and St. Louis is exactly where St. Louis usually wants to be. Their record is awful, but eight games out uh, going into the All-Star break... That's exactly where the Cardinals like to be because they always come back in the second half. Does anyone want to win this? I, I think the Reds might. At least the players do. I don't know about ownership, but the players do in Cincinnati. I, I, who wants it? It's right there. Just grab the donut. Oh, I think this is great. Like, there's, like, bad divisions, like, boring bad, and then there's, like, fun bad. And this is fun bad because it's chaos. Like... Boring bad is where, like, one team is very competent and runs away with it, and everybody else is, like, 20 games out. In this division, everyone's bad. And they're, like, roughly about the same amount of bad. So they're all, like you said, anyone can win this, and anyone can finish last. And I think that's kind of awesome. Like, I love that. Like, I think that's so fun. 
Like, we don't have another division like this. We have divisions where there are three teams who could finish last or three teams who could finish first. But we don't have another division where, I mean, and this one's weird, too, because I think we're all, at least on this podcast, in agreement that the team in last place is probably the one that's the most likely to win it. At this point, that's true. I'm still putting my money is still on the Cardinals. I hope it's the Reds, but my money is still on the Cardinals. And then there's the others, like the Pirates. Like you know what? Like I've I have no complaints about the Pirates. You gave it a good ride. It was fun. Mm-hmm. Pirates fans never get to have nice things. At least they got a quarter of a season that was fun. Um, the Cubs, yeah, hanging around in the middle, like we thought. Probably not going to finish first. Probably not going to finish last. Milwaukee, like you're the screw ups here. Right, because this was the year where it would have been easy because the Cardinals cratered at the beginning for you to just run away with this, and they couldn't get it together. So, like, unless they come back and win this, like, that's the failure here, right? (laughs) You had it. It was, like, basically handed it to you, and you were like, "Eh, I'm thinking about giving this to the Reds. Um, So I hope it's the Reds. I still probably think it's going to be the Cardinals, but... But I love it. It's chaos. I hope it changes 20 more times between now and the end of the season. I think this is great. You know, every time I think about the Central, I think about the Bad News Bears. And I'm talking like, you know, like the original movies, not the new one. Like the original movies. <laughs> I've never seen it. But <laughs> I used to watch it. It's, 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 quite, it yeah, it's, it's, it's quite funny. It's quite funny. But see, that's why, that's why it's probably going to end up being the Cubs. They're just going to sit there playing 500 balls. <laughs> and that might be just enough. To do this. <laughs> no, man, that's the AL Central. Oh, boy. You play five well, yes, yes, that's the AL. That, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, we got to have somebody finish it by the end. Yeah, this is. I know it, it's so great, and you're going through that, like some of you said that, I, and I'm with you with the Pirates as well. Hey, great. It was awesome for fun. It was great, and this has been pretty bad lately. But you're only five out, so if y'all could somehow rally <laughs> and put it all together, you're only five out. You know, in, in Cincinnati, as much fun as they are to watch, like this is a team too that um, you know they could fall apart just as quickly as it did early in the season. I don't see that happening. They feel like they've turned a corner, but yeah, this is. I, I, I at, at this point, I'm cheering for four out of five teams to win this. Um, and, and as you can get it, no, yeah, Milwaukee, no, no, this because it was yeah. yours, it was handed to you on Same. a silver platter. You don't Same. deserve this. Plus, I'm really- who's going to <laughs> I think we've all also had enough of these mediocre Milwaukee teams winning the Central and, and not doing anything in the playoffs. I think I think that we, we've seen this movie. Yeah, well, I, they, I would much rather see a Cincinnati team that's yeah. full of excitement and young talent yeah. get into the playoffs and at least, you know, even if they get beat up, whatever, they're going to do something about it. Milwaukee, you know, it's, it's what is it with up there? Milwaukee, Minnesota, it's like we made the playoffs and that's good enough because we're not trying to be good. We just want to be good enough. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say, too. Like, you know they're going to – they're not as bad as the Twins, but they're close. You know they're going to wet the bed in the playoffs right away. You know it. You know they will. At least everyone else, we don't know for a fact that they're going to do that. Oh, no. No. (laughs) Also, they're boring. They're boring. They're just not a fun team to watch. They're boring. Every one of the other four is more interesting. They're boring and they're fascist. (laughs) Go for the red. Like <laughs> Go for the red. The more democratic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on um, because we can finally talk about this. We've been waiting for all of the City Connect jerseys to be, uh, you know, to be revealed. Uh, so we finally got the last one. 
the, the Pirates, of course, this week unveiled theirs. So they're, 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 we have six six new sets of City Connect jerseys. Um, I have, a, like a, I guess, a philosophical question for you guys, Smith. I'll start with you. Um, were is it possible for the Pirates to have completely poisoned the well of the entire City Connect jersey season we've had? Because we had some good ones, right? You know, uh, the Braves kicked us off with a good one. I like Cincinnati's color scheme. Um, Baltimore's on the surface was plain, but but you know the, the whole point of a City Connect is to you know fit the city, and I thought it did a good job. The, the Rangers did a good job with theirs. Um, Seattle, I actually like Seattle's. It's one of the few things that they've done right this season. And then you get Pittsburgh. I it's just I don't I, I'm not a huge fan here, and I'm wondering. Since we, obviously you're not going to have all six be good, <laughs> waiting for the last one, it kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah, I actually think they've been kind of boring this year. I thought the ones we got last year were better. They were more interesting. Like, even when they were bad, they were, like, interesting bad. The ones that are bad this year are just, like, ugly bad. They're not interesting bad. Like, I mean, we all everybody hated the Padres one, right? But it was hilarious because it looked like a taco truck. It was funny. At least, like you know, that going for him. But like, I don't know, man. I don't like most of these. Like, I think I liked the Mariners one, and I liked the Rangers one. Like, I thought those were good. The rest of these, you know, the Atlanta one was okay. It was kind of boring. The Baltimore one, okay, it was kind of boring. Like the Cincinnati one, I like the colors a lot. I hate the font. Like, it reminds me of those. Remember when the Bucks changed their uniforms, and we were all like, "Why does it look like a swatch watch?" All the numbers. Like. <laughs> That's right. what the red yeah. ones. It also <laughs> looks to me like the point where um, shoemakers stop stitching the logo onto the side. Like, remember how they used to stitch this swoosh on? And now it's like this cheap printed thing. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it looks junky. And that's what those look like. They look junky. Like, they're not embroidered. It's this, like, screen printing that looks junky. And Pittsburgh has the same problem, except everything about it looks stupid. Like, at least Cincinnati, the colors look cool. Like, the Pirates one, I don't know, man, it's Pirates. Like, why wouldn't you embrace the fact that your team is, like, the literal Pirates? Couldn't you have done something with maybe some, like, you know, fake epaulets or something, something a little swashbuckly, you know? Like, something that looks a little bit Pirates of the Caribbean or, like, an older right. old Flynn movie or something. Like, there's so many fun things you could do, and instead you slapped the airport code for Pittsburgh on the front of a black jersey in, like, this faded, like, stadium mustard kind of color i what terrible (laughs) terrible but i don't know i would rather people took chances and made them ugly but interesting but the boring ones are like why did you even bother why did you even bother that's a good point irby how about you what do you think about the city connects this year i well yeah the pittsburgh one it's just kind of um the, the the lasting taste like you said though you know i mean it Nice. Once we learn, like, learn the history and Samantha, you on that about the, you know, the airport code because I saw that initially, not thinking of airport code, and I saw that and the PGA. I mean, it literally, I just saw that. I was like, oh, pug, pug. What is this? <laughs> it just felt so deflating and like, yeah, okay. So I. Yeah, it's swing, you know, because of what this is. And again, this is not, I, I'm not the target audience. I get it. Fine. Whatever. I'm not going to throw a fit about it. If this is what we want to do, fine. So be it. I'm not buying 
any of these jerseys, any of these hats outside my Beagle. Um, and that's okay. That's okay. Um, but it's, I've, I haven't been a City Connect fan, but yeah, for even compared to other years, this one was kind of, um, all right, let's do <laughs> this small, aim small, miss small, aim small, miss small. Let's just, let's just go for little wins, little losses, nothing too great. So yeah, it just, me, it's how it all, it's how I feel about the year. It's just kind of me. And like I said, ended with a hug, hug, hug. Eh. Okay, uh, so I think we also, uh, real quick, um, need to talk about Aaron Judge and the Yankees. Um, I, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but without Judge, the Yankees are the Yankees are kind of terrible. Like losing to the Oakland A's two to one, terrible. So, and with Judge out now for what seems to be a pretty significant amount of time with that torn ligament in his toes, Samantha, is, is this something they're going to have to go out at the deadline and, and fix? Is that even fixable? Or is, is Judge just that big of a piece that you can't even fix it at the deadline? I don't know, man. This is a tough one to figure out. I mean, is it possible that we somehow undervalue Aaron Judge? Yeah, it seems so. weird. But, like, also, like, it's got to be bigger than that, right? Because, like, Aaron Judge doesn't pitch. So it's not quite like if it was a Tani. And we could say, well, I see why there are problems on both sides of the ball. It's like, why? but why is the pitching worse? Like, I don't know. It might be kind of a if it rains, it pours situation. They've had so many injuries. It's not just Judge pitchers, too. You know, they, they've really been plagued by that. But... But it really does seem that, you know, without Aaron Judge, they are a bad baseball team. And it's you can't fix that at the deadline, you know, because what are you going to do? Like, there's no answer to this. There's no Aaron Judge you can go get to just replace Aaron Judge. And then, yeah, we have two Aaron Judges when he comes back. Like, there, there is no player available other than Otani, who we all know that the Eagles aren't going to trade. So there, there's not a comparable guy that you can go out and get to fix that part of it. And it just seems like the wheels came off of the whole thing. When Judge got hurt, it's like the rest of them just gave up. And they have all these injuries saying, you know, we keep hearing, well, Radon's coming back. Well, guess what? You've been telling me Radon was coming back since April. I don't believe you. I just don't believe you. <laughs> I don't think so. Also, I am not sure that Carlos Rodon is going to fix the myriad pitching problems that the Yankees are having right now. So it's like Garrett Cole, and then after that, it's like punt. So, I mean, yikes. It's bad. It's bad. It's Garrett Cole and punt. Yikes. <laughs> oh, boy. Irby, how about you? Any thoughts here on, on the Yankees without Aaron Judge? Uh, yeah, this is, this is just, this is bad. This is, this is fun, bad. Um, when when looking at uh, just just the offensive numbers alone, I mean, my gosh, it, you, you, with with Aaron Judge, you were you were bottom three in batting average and on base percentage. Um, you've got only the White Sox are getting on at a lesser rate. So take Judge out of that equation, and boy, that gets really bad really fast. But doesn't it? You said you said that. Yeah, there's no way, and I agree. There's no way the Angels are trading Otani. But wouldn't that be like the ultimate move here? Is the Yankees trading for Otani 
And then Otani doing the exact same thing of striking guys out, hitting home runs, and still losing because it's more than one person. So I, yeah, this is this is not good. This is like you said, Bo. This is bad. Um, and y'all said it well. It's it's it is more than one person. It is not going to be a trade deadline that turns this around. There, there. You've got to got start getting hitting from so many different areas, and and um. I, I just the infield alone, like this. This is something where we talked about for a while. Of you know, yes, there's. I'm a prospects guy. You guys know that. Anybody that knows, I'm a prospects guy, and I love talking prospects, and I love talking about where they can go and what they can do, and, and the possibilities, and boom, 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 and all those things. But but there's a reason why there's ten prospects for every one player that makes it. Because it's that hard, it's that difficult, and you can talk on, you know, mainstream media, social media, whatever you want to do. You can tell me how great of a second baseman or how amazing of a shortstop prospect you have. You can say it all you want, but when they're playing eighty games into the season and they're not getting the job done, you don't have it. You don't have it. Yeah. And and so that is something here where. You don't have it. And, and, and honestly, it, it starts coming down to, and this is where we see this with so many teams, when you look at players that are still on some roster, um, <laughs> that are still hanging around, it's like, how's that guy hanging around? It's like, well, that's their offensive problems, or that's their pitching problems, that they got said player on there. And they have said player hanging around. And, look, I, I like the guy, and I hope he can figure it out. But when, when, when Willie Calhoun... <laughs> Is still holding out a roster slot as a DH only. Oh. That's not a good thing. Ouch. Okay, this is not a guy that's going to turn it around, and you know, and that's just one of multiple prospects there. But it's just not happening. You've got to go out and figure out a different solution. And unfortunately, with the Yankees this year, and we'll see as it continues. But for right now, yeah, this is this is not going to suddenly turn around. No. No, it's not. I mean, I mean, like it's. They're what? Let's see. They're in the wild. Okay, so yeah, they're they're a wild card team right now. There's is that really Samantha? Where we're at here with the Yankees? It's it's wild card or no postseason. Nine and a half games behind the Rays. Yeah, I think so. I am yeah. that to me is a two horse race for the division right now. The Yankees very much in the wild card hunt, although they are dangerous falling out of that too. But uh, <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. But yeah, the division is. I think that ship has sailed. Not, <laughs> not even playing the A's is helping them. That just let that sink in for a second. Yeah, that's bad. That's bad. Like that's supposed to be the slump buster. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it's, it's not the A's. It's not Cole. It's it's the A's. It's the, yeah, it's, yeah, they're the slump busters at this. <laughs> All right, uh, so one more before we get to armchair umpire. Um, I, I want to just talk briefly about pitching in Colorado. I know this will be fun uh, because you know, you look at you look like a, at a guy like John Gray, who is an average starter while he's pitching in Colorado, moves over to Texas and becomes a solid two. Right, we've gone from a from a three, you know, kind of an average three to a solid two, just for changing ballparks. So that had me thinking. 
if you're really serious, Colorado, about getting to 500, you know, there's a, this is the team that, whose goal is 500. If that is your goal, you might need to hire an engineer to work on like a souped up humidor. That's going to do something that allows those baseballs to act like they do anywhere else outside of Colorado. I mean, Samantha, this this pitching in Colorado has has got to be the most difficult thing to do in sports. I, yeah, it's just. I mean, where to begin? I mean, it's so easy to just blame things on the Rockies and the way that they do business because it is astronomically stupid. But this is one thing that's kind of not really their fault. But like. I mean, why are we not doing something about this? Like, it's like moon baseball there. And, okay, like, yes, you have a humidor. Everyone has a humidor now, apparently. The humidor has been reasonably successful in other locations. And, like, I just listened to a bunch of people talk about how guys don't want to pitch in a London series because the ball flies out there in West Ham. That's two games a season, max. So... How on earth, then, by that logic, which I think is ridiculous, I don't think anybody cares about that, you know, this idea, well, it could affect your Hall of Fame stats. Really, if your Hall of Fame stats are are that much on the edge that two games is going to change it, then you're probably not a Hall of Famer. But it does kind of make you think about Colorado and say, okay, well, what on earth free agent pitcher who had any other choice would ever go there? So how are you ever going to get good competitive pitching there? Because what you're going to get is the guys who are sent there without a choice who ultimately will then do poorly there and will be slightly better on the road, but their numbers will be awful. It will depress their contract value, which will mean they will have trouble getting free agent contracts elsewhere because of it. And so, I mean, has there ever been a greater incentive to never sign a contract there, right? Especially if it's not like your last contract because, like, it's going to depress your market value when you go somewhere else. Even though everybody knows, yes, everybody knows the numbers are inflated there. Everyone knows that. They're still going to use it as an excuse to pay you less because they will use anything as an excuse to pay you less. So if you're like John Gray and you're lucky and you escape a little earlier, like that's great for you and all, but like half these guys aren't going to get out of there in time. So like, what's the incentive to go there? Like, I can see it being like, I mean, have we had a situation yet where they've drafted some kid and the dad comes in and is like, nope, you know what? He's going to college after all. Like <laughs> The Eli Manning? No. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get RT Manning. Like, I mean, I realize the chances of the team that drafts you, especially if you're coming right out of high school, being the team you actually debut for in the majors is actually not that good because most people do get traded. But, like, just the possibility that you will be trapped in that system <laughs> might be enough for you to be like, you know what? Um... I wasn't offered, like, Vandy, but, like, yes, I will go to Texas Tech. Oh, oh God, <laughs> no, not Tech. Instead of coming here. Like. <laughs> not Tech. Anywhere but Tech. No. <laughs> I think I'd rather pitch in Colorado. <laughs> but um, Tech gets all the B-grade commits. Oh. <laughs> all right, Irby, how about you? Any thoughts here before we get into Armchair Empire? I, well, yes, I mean, we don't actually do not have any proof that uh, Kamar Rocker's mom didn't tell Colorado, don't do it, okay? He'll go back to Vandy for another year or go back to independent ball for another year as opposed to pitching in Colorado. So we don't know that for certain. She might have done that. She would be the one, too, that would shut that down going, no, no. 
<laughs> All right. All right. Well, that 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 wraps up the the uh, the various topics of the week uh, from from us. So we have one more item of business: the armchair umpire. So, Irby, you want to take us away down some obscure uh, addendum of an of, of of an addendum of an addendum in the in the rule book? Yeah, sure. We can we can do that. Let's let's you know it's a a, a week off. Um, I know you guys missed it. Um, I, I, I know you, you know, you missed it. You didn't have a week of this and that's okay. We're, we're, we're back. Yeah. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so hmm, I'm trying to think of how I want to play this one out a little bit. You know, we're going to come back a little easy, you know, not, not, to, not to freak out or anything, but, but we're going to come back a little bit, you know, just get our feet back wet. We took a week off and, you know, you don't come back from the DL, you know, coming out firing 150 pitches like you're pitching for Stanford. Um, you come back a little smaller come back a little smarter. Uh, so let's do a situation here, and let's say we've got the, uh, the the Cincinnati Reds, we talked about earlier, they're playing Baltimore right now. Um, and, and in this game, it's a one nothing game um, late in the, in the fifth inning. And Cincinnati, uh, you know, getting things started really well. Um, single, uh, Mr. De La Cruz pulls off a single, fairly follows him up with a, uh, with a single of his own, moving De La Cruz over to third. Uh, Joey Votto strikes out, um, and then uh, Spencer Steer draws a walk, and that brings up their uh, shortstop that uh, you know player we're going to talk about in the near future too. It'd be a lot of fun. But Matt McLean comes up, and he's at the plate um, with the bases loaded and one out, down a run. And while he's up to bat, the the, the, the David Bell, the manager, orders the steal of home. That's right, the old stealing home with Mr. Ellie De La Cruz. Um, Kyle Gibson is on the mound for Baltimore as it's happening. Well, as he's stealing home, the Reds, you know, Gibson goes into his motion. Throwing so, uh, Gibson before going into his stretch. De La Cruz breaks for the plate. So before Gibson begins the stretch, he breaks for the plate. Realizing what's happening, Gibson promptly backs completely off the rubber. So as to avoid any question of a balk, and throws the ball home, attempting to get the runner out of the plate. Um, it is apparent that De La Cruz did not time it perfectly. He is going to be out. In doing so, the batter, Matt McClain, swings and hits a deep fly ball to center field. Upon seeing this ball going so deep and that the ball is in play, De La Cruz retreats, as everyone else does. Mullen makes a nice catch in the outfield. De La Cruz touches third, retreats all the way back to third, runs home, throw to the plate, not in time. Mullen is safe. Or is he? Who's out? Who's safe? Where are we putting all these runners? Okay, we're going to have to go back over this. Um, I'm lost here. So, first of all, okay, so the batter swings and hits a fly ball into the outfield that is caught. Is that correct? It is caught. Okay, so the guy at third tagged. So De La Cruz stealing home on this retreats upon the ball being hit. Retreats, receives a deep fly ball, retreats all the way back to third, is able to touch third as the ball is being caught, or as it's caught, then he touches third, tags, runs home, and he beats the throw home. Okay, okay, wait a minute. Now, Gibson stepped off the rubber to throw home, so he disengaged. 
That is correct. Yeah. Gibson stepped off the rubber and threw home. So, correct. So in this case, he disengaged. He threw home. De La Cruz retreated to third. At that point, it should be a dead ball because it's not actually a pitch. Yeah, so the batter can't swing at a throw home. Right. If right. he's not on the rubber, he's not engaged. That isn't a pitch. It's a dead ball. Go back. So who was the batter again? Matt McLean. Yeah, McLean is back at the plate like the pitch never happened. It's a dead. It's a. It's essentially a throw over to first. The ball just goes back to the pitcher. There is no pitch. Therefore, there can be no fly. So he's not out, and De La Cruz is back at third. Or is it batter's interference because you swung at a throw home? Ooh. Hmm. No, because De La Cruz receives the third. How is he? He didn't do that until the ball was caught in the outfield. Hmm. Like, I mean, I feel like the problem here is we're going to have to guess no matter what because we don't know the specific rule for what happens if someone swings at a throw. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, it's true. <laughs> Normally, we get throws to first or second and third, not home. Um, or is it a balk? I mean, this is another thing we have to consider. It is could it be a balk? balk? It could be a balk. But, or, Irby, but he, were you trying to tell us? Actually, let's start with that. Irby, were you trying to tell us that, like, you said he stepped off before going into his stretch? So, was that is that a confirmation then that this isn't a balk? Correct. Yes. Gibson yeah. okay. stepping yeah. off. Okay. Avoids yeah. any concern of a box. So very okay. good. Yes. Right. So All right. So that's out. Okay. Only, so only Angel Hernandez would call it a box at this point. <laughs> who definitely and definitely would, given the opportunity. <laughs> um, yeah. So okay. So then the question becomes: Is it just as simple as you can't swing at a throw? But see, then he's interfering with the throw home. So that would punish the pitching team because that guy basically prevented you from getting the out at home potentially. So I think that's batter's interference because he swung at something that presumably would have got the runner out at home because the runner was coming. I could buy that. And he has yeah. interfered with that. I could buy that. Batter's so interference. I think that's so, batter's interference. So I think he, the runner is returned to third and the batter is out. Well, if it's batter's interference, doesn't the runner score? No, because it's the batter who did it. So that we're. Oh, okay. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Then. Yeah. yeah if the batter interfered, the batter is preventing the fielding team from making a play on his teammate who is coming home. He has interfered with the throw, I, okay. play, which would okay. have gotten his teammate out. Yeah. 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 yeah I, see, I, I see where you're going with this now. Yes. So I think this is batter's interference. Batter's interference. Runners. Runner back to third. Batter's out. Batter's out. I agree. All right, is that our, is that our final answer? That's our final answer. Irby, what, how do we do? Uh, you guys talked this one through well. You didn't fall for any of the little tricks of me trying to hint in there like a fly ball. It's like, oh, my gosh, this is a live baseball. Did we play that out? Like, no, absolutely not. As soon as he disengaged, um, as soon as Bacall Gibson disengages and throws, that's, that's section uh, 8, 
1.01e, in which if a pitcher removes his pivot foot from contact with the pitcher's plate by stepping backward with that foot, he therefore becomes an infielder. You guys did a great job of getting through that one and not falling for that. The final answer is not correct, however. You guys got close. You got very close. But actually, in this situation, with less than two outs, Ellie De La Cruz, the runner, is the one that's going to be called out. And if we are looking back, this is rule 7.08G. Wow. Any base runner is out when he attempts to score on a play in which the batter interferes with the ball at home base wow. with less than two outs. So your logic, how you guys talked it through, is correct. And if there were two outs, this is batter's interference. The reason why this rule is think through, and Samantha, you were getting right there on it, is you're punishing the pitching team. The one who is committing, yes, the batter is committing the, the infraction here by swinging and realizing that, oh, this is throw home, he's going to be out. But it's not just punishing the batter, it's punishing the offense there. And what you're doing, your guy going from third to home is going to be out. So you're doing this to interfere with that. So the rule then does, with less than two outs, that runner is out. If any other base runners were moving, they would return to first and second base. And the batter then continues this at bat on a dead ball. <laughs> I love baseball's rule books so much. <laughs> See, I feel okay about getting this one wrong, though, because we had the spirit of this correct. Yes, we just had yes. no idea that there was a specific rule for what happens when there's less than two outs and there's a runner coming to the plate. <laughs> so I feel okay about this. I think we reasoned this out as best we could. Um, and we also learned something. So, so this is cool. So, okay. So then basically if there are two outs and the runner comes home, it doesn't matter. Right. Yes. Technically at that point, who you call out really does. Well, no, that's not true. It does matter because it would be if there's innings coming up. So you would call the batter out at interference and he has lost his at bat we move to the next guy, the on-deck guy would be leading off the next inning. Okay, so that, that makes, there's some logic to that, I think, because then what that tells us is that the rule is designed to do whatever is the most punitive. Yes, yes. Okay, that, that makes sense to me. Okay, okay. Which is, although it's weird, though, because we've seen some other ones where we felt like it was not punishing the correct person. Like they were taking the lesser of the two. Yes. So, yes. No. Anyway, no. That's good. Baseball's weird. I, it's weird, man. Yeah. Like, I, 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 I one time I want NFL officials to have to do a baseball game just once, just for the entertainment value. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know you would have some. You would know you'd have some back judge walking away like, "Where are you going? I don't know, man. I'm just going to go back to my position. You guys can be the bad guys. I have no freaking clue what we're going to call here." <laughs> so weird. <laughs> but just like like this ruling here, like this would be fun to see it play out. Just because you would have so many people going, huh? What? <laughs> What's going what? on? <laughs> just to have the one umpire who knows this, who nails this thing. You know, like, even one of his colleagues is kind of going, are you sure? Yeah, I mean, no, no, no. Actually, I was reading it on the flight over here. I read this section. This is it. This is it. I know what I'm talking about. Let me do it. Let me do it. Let me do it. Let me be the crew chief. Let me announce it. <laughs> Well, and, you know, this is going to be another one of those that we have to throw into the basket of, like, both managers getting kicked out 
potentially, depending on like how it shakes out exactly. But like yeah. definitely at least one manager is getting kicked out of here. And like you're gonna feel this is the thing where you're gonna feel so dumb because you're out there like thinking you're so righteous in the way that you're arguing about it and put my runner back on third and all this. And it's like, well, actually, in this particular specific case, and I can show you the exact rule. And then you're going to feel like a real dummy because it's not actually a subjective view. You can argue you're just wrong. <laughs> yeah. But it would just be just as much fun to see like this actually play out in, in the disengaged throw. And it's not actually a pitch, but the batter swung and hits a deep. You know, how many fielders would be standing there going, do I, what, can you see Cedric Mullins like, do I have to catch this? Like, what's going on? <laughs> well, and where do you throw? Where does the throw go then after yeah. you catch it? Like, who are you even trying to, like, is the runner, like, if the runner going third, at third is going home and is going to be out anyway, then, like, aren't you more worried about the other runners? <laughs> but, like, do you know that for a fact? Like, because you really ought to be going for the guy who's trying to tag and go yeah. home if you can. So, yikes. <laughs> Interesting stuff. That's a that's a good one. That's a good that's one. A good one. It's, it's it's a nice rule to learn. Because uh, <laughs> this is like you know of other things like you know like the ball in the back pocket. You know you don't think of that happening, but this very plausible. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I could definitely see something like this happening, especially with someone with the speed of of Mr. Cruz. So, all right, that's going to do it for us. We're out of here. Until next week. Smash that like button. Help us out with that algorithm. Help us get some more lollygaggers into the fold. Uh, Don't forget to do your second round of all-star voting. Just think of it as eating your vegetables so you can enjoy the all-star game knowing you did all you could. But until next week, watch some baseball. It's good for you.